Dan, I appreciate that perspective bringing to us of looking at Christmas with a baby in mind. It is interesting to look at Christmas this year with a baby in our house. And one of the things that uh, we're anticipating is maybe a word or two uh, from our little, almost soon, uh, one-year-old. Keep thinking, when will they ever say anything? And then, you know, when they start talking, you know, which they never learned. But nonetheless, that's kind of where we're at is when's that first word going to come out and what will it be? You know, it'd be interesting to know what Jesus' first word was as a baby. Scripture never recorded that. It, it could be, of course, any number of things. Uh, but it doesn't tell us. But what it does tell us is the first words about Jesus being born. Who broke the news? You know, it's always a privilege to be able to break the news when a baby is born and uh, to be able to do it firsthand and to tell those who love. And so, as we look at the Christmas story, we're going to look at that first word, the first quote of Christmas, done by an angel, and done to some boys on a field. Luke chapter 2, if you don't mind, we're going to take a little break from Genesis. Um, it's been in for a while, I figure we all could use a little break, uh, but it won't be far from us. I'm going to be going back to Genesis. In fact, I think it's going to be fascinating to look at uh, the Christmas story uh, with Genesis fresh on our minds. And we'll see a lot of connections. In fact, that's one of my main goals is to help you to see the connections of the Christmas story and what we've already learned in Genesis. And, and if you will, it's kind of like we're going fast forward in time. Genesis is uh, pointing to Luke 2 all throughout. And so we've kind of skipped, uh, skipped maybe a couple thousand years of history and go right to Jesus being born. And uh, we'll look at it with the fresh lens of, of Genesis uh, behind that we'll be looking at this birth of Christ. And I think you're going to find some pretty interesting things. But what I'm going to do this season is, is look at quotes, uh, important quotes of Christmas. Uh, this one, obviously, the angel uh, with shepherds. If you follow the Advent, uh, celebrating that in your homes, well, this week is the Shepherd Week. And uh, so it's uh, fitting that we'll be talking a little bit about that passage uh, this morning. Uh, we'll be looking at uh, the, the quote of Zechariah uh, as he's referring to his own child being born, John the Baptist. And then we're going to look at the quote of Simeon um, and what he had to say after Jesus was born. Uh, these are some of my favorite quotes of Christmas, and that's what you get to do if you're a pastor. <laughs> you do your favorite quotes, all right? Uh, and so I'm sure you've got your own, but that this, you know, you're not preaching. So uh, we're going to look at uh, Luke chapter two, verse ten, and uh, we're going to just look at verse ten and verse eleven. There's a lot more to be said about this, and that we could say, but I think verse ten and eleven will satisfy us, and uh, we'll take our time this morning. And so, uh, as we read this, if you will, just stand in honor of what we're reading. That this is the word of God, uh, spoken to our hearts, God's letter to us. Luke chapter two, verse ten. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You may be seated. Now, to set the scene, 
This is in the uh, fields of Bethlehem. Uh, when I went to Israel there a couple years ago, we got to go to the surrounding area of Bethlehem. We couldn't go in to Bethlehem as it's Palestinian controlled. But we were outside of the city. We could see the city from a distance. And I, that was one of the more moving places for me. Because I, I know that just sitting out there, I could look at the sky and know the sky hadn't changed any over the thousands of years. And just imagine what it would have been like on this night when uh, when in the, the sky was filled with a multitude of angelic hosts uh, proclaiming God, praising Him. And so that was just an amazing thing to be able to see that. And it is a very rocky terrain. Uh, hilly with rocks everywhere. It, it's hard to run in that area. And so nonetheless, this is where they're at. Bethlehem, uh, meaning house of bread, is the literal meaning. We'll find that Jesus brings a whole new meaning to that city in calling himself bread uh, and being uh, offering himself up to feed our souls spiritually as he is born in a manger. And in this area, it's been often quoted at, uh, that this is the area where they would store the sheep and prepare the sheep for uh, the Passover uh, that would soon be coming. Uh, and so it could very well be that the sheep that are, these, are taken care of by these shepherds would have been sheep prepared for the, the Passover uh, later on. And so in this day and time, the shepherds were not necessarily uh, old men. In fact, uh, this task usually went to boys uh, maybe around middle school age. If you're between fifth grade and eighth grade, you're a prime candidate uh, for being out in the fields, a shepherd, where it was your job with your little bit of food that you carried and your rod and your staff and your slingshot to, to fight off the wild animals that you might encounter and to make sure that your sheep were taken care of. This is what boys of that age would often do. And in fact, if you go into Africa, they, they still do that. Uh, I was amazed to see that the ones that were out with the sheep, uh, with the goats, were the boys with their with their uh, uh, sticks. <laughs> you know, this is where lions are and other wild animals. But uh, nonetheless, that's kind of the age that we've got here. So in your mind, if you think shepherds, don't necessarily be thinking about the 20-year-old. Think more about the 13-year-old uh, that's being brought into this passage, brought into this story. And they would have certainly perhaps lived long enough to see this one grow up that's being talked about and, in fact, offer his life on the cross. And so here you have these boys uh, taking care of the flock out uh, in the, the fields of Bethlehem. Now, here's what I want you to understand that you may not get. And Bethlehem, outside of the city, was a huge palace. palace. It was Herod's uh, third largest palace called the Herodian. Uh, if it was fat. Herod literally moved a mountain and built upon this mountain this huge palace. In fact, if you looked at it, it it, uh, had a resemblance of a volcano, and it could have been seen for miles around. We have no idea where these shepherds were outside of Bethlehem, but it had been very hard-pressed to to find somewhere outside of Bethlehem where they could not have seen the Herodian, the palace, off in a distance. Uh, Herod was the king of the Jews at the time, given that title, uh, the Roman puppet uh, ruler over that area of Palestine. And so he was the one that was, uh, well, a great architect, but also paranoid and often uh, killed off many, many people. As later on, we find that he uh, had, well, several of the sons, the boys of Bethlehem, killed 
because of rumors of Jesus being born in Bethlehem. And thus the family had to flee to Egypt. This is the one that built the palace of Masada, uh, the great defensive hold that would come to bear later on when Roman came and destroyed Jerusalem. And so this man was the power. And in all around Bethlehem, you had a fresh reminder, a daily reminder of the power of Herod. Now, here's where it gets interesting. For those of us who've been studying Genesis, Herod was a descendant of the Edomites. Edomites were those that came from Esau. Okay? You remember that story? Jacob, Esau, those of you who've been with us, Jacob was the one that was uh, marked out by God to be the one for the which the Messiah would come. And it was prophesied there from the very beginning when they were born that Esau and Jacob and their nations that came after them would be fighting one another constantly. And so here you have Esau in power. But then the star of Jacob is born. And if you were to look at it in that political climate, you would think nothing of a little baby born in a stable somewhere when there was a palace right outside. In fact, there's a picture here that someone uh, had drawn that might have portrayed this. If we could show that picture, guys, in the back uh, and and see what this looks like, just to to imagine what this could have, have been like. And here you have this great palace off in the distance. If you can imagine the volcano there, and you think that's where the power's at. That's where the power's at. But that's not how God works. God works in the rejected places, the lonely places, the, the, the brokenhearted. And here you have in a stable, instead, the real star that would be born. In fact, Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, 19, gives, gives a prophecy about this. It says this. Balaam is given a prophecy. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. And Adam, our Edom, shall be a possession. Seir also, his enemies, shall be a possession. While Israel does violently out of Jacob, one shall have dominion and destroy the remains of the city. So if you can imagine the power hold of the Edomites and, and Herod the Great. But here a star is being born though no one knows about it yet. But, word's about to break, and it's broken to boys. Boys out in the field. No one would write a story like this. If you're going to make up a story about a king coming, this is just not how you would do it. But nonetheless, it's how it is because it's what happened. And so, if you can join us with these little boys, these middle school guys out there taking care of the sheep, with this Herodian in the background... And then the Bible says, if we, as we read, if we read verse 9, just a little bit before this, it tells us that the angel appears before him and does so with light, with the glory of God, the Shekinah glory. We see this throughout the Old Testament and the tabernacle system that shows us that the presence of God is described as a brilliant light. I don't yet picture someone up in the sky. The Bible just says that this angel has come before him. It could very well be that he's standing right there beside these folks, in front of these folks. But nonetheless, in, in the darkness, when all you have are torches and lanterns, lamps, you have this huge light, this bright light comes out, and there is no mistaking, this is not a normal person talking to you. That this is angels talking to these guys. And so, we have the word broken. The word's broken. And here, 
we find that the main point of this is that Christ is the source of everything in this passage. The Christ is the source of joy. And so as we read just this first preliminary announcement, just, just kind of follow with us. Consider how this text unfolds. The first thing the angels say, fear not. Fear not. Why? Why do these 13-year-old boys not fear when an angel is coming before them in the middle of the night? You got everything you need right there for you go running and your knees shaking and you to fall out in fear. Uh, in fact, we find in the Bible everywhere an angel occurs that often there is a real sense of terror that occurs in that person's life. But nonetheless, the angel says right from the beginning, uh, though that they were terribly frightened, that's what the Bible says, they were terribly frightened. In other words, it's saying uh, that they, he says, stop, stop being that. It's like they had feared a great fear is literally how that says. They feared a great fear. Then he says, stop, do not go on being fearful is, is how it breaks down. Stop, do not go on being fearful. Fear not. Why? For there is born to you this day a savior who is christ the lord the reason the angel tells them not to fear is because there's born to you this day a savior who is christ the lord why is that the solution all right i i kind of i broke this out wednesday night i couldn't help myself but i want you to to go back to genesis chapter 3 verse 10 the first time the word fear is introduced in the Bible. In fact, according to the Bible, the first time the concept fear was introduced to mankind. Was it a ghost that caused fear in mankind? Was it taxes? What, what was it? Well, Genesis chapter 3 verse 10 tells us that was none other than the presence of God. Why? Up to this point, man did not fear God. They walked with God. They loved God. They had a, a beautiful relationship. But man chose not to trust God, believed Satan's lies, and tried to make themselves as God by eating of the one fruit God forbid. Sin comes in. And yes, they do have knowledge of good and evil, and they find out they're evil. They're ashamed of themselves. They cover themselves up. And when God's presence enters into the garden, notice Genesis 3.10. He said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid. Adam's talking. I was afraid. Because I was naked and I hid myself. I was ashamed of myself. And you could see me for who I am. And fear entered in. And so Genesis 3.10, fear enters in. Genesis 3.15, God gives a, a, a verdict about this. He gives a promise in Genesis 3.15. He says, you know what? Because you've chosen Satan's way, you try to make yourself like God, the penalty is death. Death will reign here on this earth, but there will come a time when Eve will have a seed, and that seed will be wounded by Satan, but the seed will gain victory and do a crushing blow. So, Genesis 3.10, fear not. Luke 
2.10. Don't fear. Why is there no more fear? Because that one that God talked about in Genesis 3.15 is now here. For to you is born this day. Why is it important that he was born? Because it had to be like Genesis 3.15, a seed of a woman. And therefore, there must be a birth involved. Born to you this day, a savior. Angel says, I present to you not a political leader. We don't need another politician. All right. He says, I don't present to you a doctor. I don't present to you a lifeguard. I present to you a savior. Because that is what is needed for our heart. And let's see who this Savior is. The Savior is not Herod. Though you've got this beautiful palace, this huge fortress, that's not your Savior because he's born this day. We don't give you a a Caesar Augustus. I give to you Christ. What does that mean? Anointed one. The one set apart. All the way back in Genesis 3.10 and for thousands of years that we've been looked for. And for the last 400 years, they had not received any kind of prophetic word from God. And breaking the silence, an angel says, I want to be the one who bears the news. And God says, I'm going to let you be the one. Why an angel? Well, you've got to consider an angel was a witness to everything that's happened. The angel saw man turn away from God. They saw the results of that. The angels were there doing the biddings of God as God did his work throughout history. The Bible says in 1 Peter that the angels longed to look into God's plan for mankind. And so I imagine there's a whole slew of angels just kind of going like this. Let me, let me, let me, let me. And God says, you do it. You do it. Break the news. Pick out some boys. Out in a field somewhere. And just let him know. I believe that these young men were having a hope. They were having a need. And therefore God satisfied their thirst, their need for it. And so we have here just a beautiful passage. Fear not. Why? Because there's a Savior. And he's Christ. He's the anointed one. And he is the Lord. He's the King. He is the one who is God in flesh. Then we keep on reading. If you're not for why? why? I bring you good news. Bring you good tidings. Why, why, why is it good tidings? Because it goes back to the same phrase. It's good tidings because there's born to you this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That word bring you good news is, is literally the word evangelize. That's where the word evangelize comes from, good news. And so if you were to say this in our language, he's saying, I evangelize you. An angel is evangelizing these boys. And and that's literally how it comes about. He is preaching good news. We find this term, we understand evangelism now as a a religious term. But back then it wasn't just religious. It was uh, any term used to to celebrate, to make an announcement. In fact, we find uh, an inscription uh, found at a location called Priene, and it celebrated the birth of Augustus. And notice what it, the description calls Augustus a savior, and says that the birth date of our God has signaled the beginning of good news for the world. <laughs> Referring to Caesar Augustus. And, and Luke, you know, probably was aware of such things as this, and he's talking about, he's already referenced that Caesar Augustus, and he says, you know what, it's not Caesar Augustus. I announce to you the real savior. I proclaim it. I bring you good news. That was important. You remember being in school? 
Every once in a while you hear on the PA announcements, so-and-so, please come to the office. The, president, uh, the principal needs to speak with you. And it's always done in a slight nasal quality like that. And everybody went, ooh. Because there's no good that comes out of going to the principal's office, you know? And so everybody just thinks, oh, this is bad. But, you know, you may imagine being called to the principal's office, and you're just kind of sitting there, and you're kind of racking your brain like, what have I done? You figure out what all, you know, I know this because it's happened to me. It's like, man, how, what, what did I do wrong? And it's kind of like when the policeman pulls you over and you wonder, what did I do wrong? Some of you already know that. But, uh, you know, then the principal says, I've called you in the office because we want to recognize something good that you did. And he's like, oh, you know, just relief all over you. Well, that's the idea that these angels are bringing to these, these shepherds. I want to bring you good news. Can you imagine an angel speaking to you and, you and these guys think, what have I done wrong? And they, I'm sure they didn't think too hard and think, I, surely I didn't warn an angelic visit. But nonetheless, he says, I want to give you good news. Mankind fears God. They fear God because of sin in their life. How do I know that? Just bring up God in a discussion. Just start talking about God. It's amazing how people start avoiding you. When you start talking about the Lord, start talking about God. They don't like to hear about God because there is a fear about that. Because of the sin in their life. But what the angel is saying is that doesn't have to be. There does not have to be this fear in your life. You know, I think about um, one of the lines from the, the movie uh, Forrest Gump that just kind of stu- stuck with me was this line where, where um, Forrest Gump, you know, he, someone had invested his money into Apple uh, computers, you know, uh, fledging computers back then. And he got this letter back and saying, you know what, you never have to worry about money again. That phrase just kind of stuck in my brain. I thought, man, I didn't know that could happen. You know, that just sounds like music. To our ears. Well, even more so than the problem of money is the problem of our guilt. The problem of our sin. The problem that we just don't like who we are. And it kind of stays with us. Because nothing really changes. As much as we try to reform, we find that there's parts of our lives that still is just like, oh, I didn't know that was still with me. And what God is saying, you never have to worry about that anymore. You don't have to worry about guilt anymore. I want to bring you good news. And what's this good news tied to? It's tied to the fact that there is a Savior born this day who is Christ the Lord. A Savior for what? A Savior for our sins. How we have disappointed, not ourselves, but disappointed God by being self-focused in our life. That is good news. God is revealing to man, and man desperately needs it because he cannot find God on his own. If he uses all his senses, all his reason, he cannot find God. And what God is saying, you don't have to. I'm revealing myself to you. And I'm doing it through a baby born this day. So we keep on reading. It says, fear not, for there is born to you this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Fear not, for I bring you good news. For there is born to you this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Fear not, because there is great joy. Why? 
Because his great joy is tied to the fact that there is born to you this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Joy. I, in a little while this afternoon, I'm going to the pool, pool funeral home and doing a uh, memorial service. Um, everybody who's lost loved ones, they have a, a holiday service for them. Uh, and, it, you know, when you look at that, some of you don't need this reminder. It, this already hits you that Christmas time can be a very hard time when you've lost loved ones. And it's, you know, the, the things of Christmas that is pronounced to us on TV and music in the stores. It hits us how hollow it is. How hollow it is. How do you sing a Christmas carol when you have a broken heart? It's hard to do. It, it reminds me of the, the movie Christmas Story. The all-time best Christmas TV show. Better than the others. <laughs> And one of the things I like about it, makes you laugh, but the other thing is, there's a little boy, you look at Christmas through a boy's eyes, and you remember the scene, he, he goes up before Santa Claus, you know, everybody wants to be in front of Santa Claus on the lap, but you know what, this little, this Santa Claus, it's like all the elves are drunk, and he's drunk, and he's got this stinky breath, and big red nose, and he's a really scary guy, and the next thing you know, you get thrown down a slide, and it's moments of terror, you know, it seems like the Christmas bells and whistles of our society is much like that seems good from a distance but when you approach the peripherals of christmas with a broken heart it doesn't do anything for you but what he's saying here is that there's joy with this christmas message It's not the Santa Claus, it's not the Christmas carols, it's not the mold cider, it's not the Christmas presents or the trees or the other things. This is, there is joy that's tied to the fact there is a Savior. He's born this day and he's Christ the Lord. The only folks that would really get this are the people who know their need for a Savior. You could... Get me for Christmas any number of gifts, but unless I have a need for it, doesn't matter. I remember as a child, my grandparents were, were giving me these pieces of paper on it. it, had numbers on it, and the letters CD. <laughs> and I, I'm thinking, where's the toys? You know, this is worse than clothes. You know, it's just. Pieces of paper with numbers and a letter CD on it. But for whatever reasons, my parents were thrilled. And so I was like, okay, I went around along with it and said, thank you. <laughs> thank you. What was the problem? I didn't understand the gift. I didn't understand the need. Someday I might need thousands of dollars. And that this was thousands of dollars. I mean, it wasn't even green, you know. I didn't understand the need. You could come up to me and say, hey, I want to give you a quick ride to the hospital in the emergency room. I think, <laughs> I don't, you know, you're a little off, you know. I want lunch. But when I see that big gash in my arm, or I feel a huge, severe pain in my stomach, then... I appreciate the offer. 
Tell you what. <laughs> Pretty good stuff right there. <laughs> I'm going to be real concerned. I feel a big pain in my stomach now. But that's, you know, that, that ambulance then is a welcome relief, is it not? Any other time, it's just a hassle and it's a pain. Jesus is pronounced to us and the angel says, I want to give to you a savior. And we just sit there and wonder, well, that's great. That's good. That's a nice gesture, God. And the problem may very well be is that we don't understand that we're born with a terminal disease. At the moment of birth, it's a terminal disease. And it exhibits itself in many ways. It's got the symptoms out there. God says, you know, here's how you know when you have the disease. You, you lie. You ever lie? Oh, that's, that's a, a sure sign. You've got it. Are you... You have a, a tendency toward pride. Maybe everything revolves around yourself. And if it doesn't impact you, then it doesn't matter. Sure, there could be thousands of people dying in some other country, but it doesn't bother you. Uh, that's pretty good symptom. You've got it. Maybe it's you have problems being content with what comes your way. Maybe it's adulterous thoughts adulterous actions well you've probably got it maybe you have a tendency not to regard the authority and your parents and you dishonor your parents that's a symptom you've got it you ever wonder why the ten commandments exist it gives us the symptoms of a terminal disease and when you realize that the end result of this terminal disease is not just mild discomfort Not just maybe bad things happening in this life, though that's not necessarily the result. That the end result is that God hates that disease. He's perfect. And he cannot stand to look upon that. As much as he may dare to love you, he cannot stand to look at the disease that you have. And that the only thing that is possible is to be quarantined off to a place that he did not design for you. He designed for Satan. He designed for those who fell from him. Uh, angelic beings that called the lake of fire. And that the only result is to be quarantined off into the lake of fire. For eternity. Then all of a sudden we see the gash in our heart. And when that becomes vivid to us, and we hear the words from an angel, there is born to you this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It's amazing how the outcome is totally different. I bring you good news of great joy. And the great joy is directly related to the great sensitivity of our own disease called sin. And understanding what it is. There is joy then. Joy. Let's look at the letters of the word just to teach us something. J stands for the giver in Jesus. 
And the fact that he brings to us this joy, that he is capable of giving us joy, that he's capable of being our Savior. John 1, 1, he is the, the, the word who was at the beginning, the word that became flesh. He is the one that calmed the winds and the waves. He is the one that demons fled from at his word. He is the one that is sitting at the right hand of power. He is the one who said, if you see me, you see God the Father. He is the one who received the words from the humans, my Lord and my God. And yet he is the one, according to Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, who was being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the giver of salvation. To say, you know what? There is punishment for your sins, but I will bear the punishment. So guilt no more in your life. J stands for Jesus. He's the giver. Why? At the end, yourself. Yourself. Joy is given to you. You are the recipient. And that is why what the angel says, born to you. Jesus was a gift to you. You are to be the recipient of this Savior who is Christ the Lord. It stands for you. He went to the cross. He, he paid the penalty of our sins. He satisfied God's holy wrath for my sins. And now I can forgive others because of the forgiveness that God has given to me. He has reconciled me to God by doing this. And now not only that, he's justified. In other words, he's made it as if I've never sinned. That from God's point of view, it's not that I'm just slightly stained. No, I'm not slightly stained. I have the righteousness, the right standing with him that Jesus himself earned by his lifestyle, by his identity. He gives to us. That's the justification. He has given us the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God, it sheds abroad the love of God in our heart that enables us to live our life in a way that is pleasing Him. He lets us to, to be co-heirs with Him. <laughs> Isn't it amazing for a bunch of the little shepherd boys? Whether you're 10 to 13, it doesn't matter. No one's too young to be a benefit of this. No one's too old. No one's too insignificant. So what's this O? The word joy, J-O-Y. Oh, if you just make it a zero. Make it so that nothing stands between Jesus and you. You want joy in your life? Make sure there's nothing in between you and Jesus. Now, let me assure you. Jesus on his side has not resurrected anything or has built up, erected anything to stand in between you and him. In fact, he has taken everything down so that there can be free access between you and him. And the only one who is able to, to bring up any barriers between you and him is you. Jesus has done it all. You erect barriers 
between you and him. You want joy in your life? You take down the barriers. How do you do that? Make sure that there is nothing before Jesus Christ, that there is no projects that are before Jesus Christ. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Make sure that there is no stress or anxiety that stands between you and Jesus Christ. Jesus said, uh, be anxious for nothing. Or Paul said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving that your request be made known unto God and the peace of God, which pathes all understanding will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Make sure that there's no perspectives of doubt that stands between you and Jesus, that there is no pride that stands between you and Jesus. Don't put yourself up in, in between Jesus Christ. Make sure there is no laziness of pursuit of the Lord that stands between you and Jesus. Make sure there's no ingratitude that stands between you and Jesus. These can ruin your joy. can ruin your joy. The only proper reaction when you get news like this is what the shepherd boys did. Is that the word of this, they said to one another, let us go see these things that have been made known to, to us. And they ran. Glorifying God. And then they saw Jesus. No distance, no obstacle would stand in the way. And as they saw the baby born, wrapped in swaddling clothes, they went continuing on praising God for all the things they had seen and been made known to them. Let me ask you this. When were you the happiest in your life? When were you the happiest in your life? Maybe for some of us it was as children. When we look back and didn't have to deal with all that we deal with today. Maybe it's today. Maybe it's some other period in your life. Chances are, you're probably the most happiest in your life when you were the most pure and dependent on God. Maybe as a child you didn't even know it. You had a dependence on God and those God put on your life. This is a wonderful first quote of Christmas. Harkens all the way back to Genesis 3.10. Angels stood and said to these boys, fear not. But you know what? He's saying it to you. He's saying it to you. Dick, don't fear. Joe, don't fear. Brian, do not fear. Pam, do not fear. Judy, do not fear. For I bring you good news of great joy. For unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This day. In other words, why are you waiting? It's already been done. Why go one more day without this joy? Without this good news? Without this confidence? Why go one more day when it is made available for you already? Let me ask you. Is guilt still something you deal with? Need not be. Let there be a savior in your life. I invite you to just express something to God. To say, God, I, I want Jesus. Not as a savior, but as my savior. Not as a Christ, but my Christ. Not as a Lord, but my 
Lord. I invite you to express that to God. That's a wonderful thing. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Surrender all these barriers you put up between you and Jesus. If that's your desire, I'm just going to invite you to pray with me right now. And just express what I say in your own heart. God, I know that I have had a self-centered life. It's filled with sin. Father, I need forgiveness of that sin. That guilt has been with me. And this word sounds so good. I do believe that I don't have to fear you anymore because I believe, Lord, you forgive me of my sins. And Lord, I pray that you give me the joy of you, not happiness or happiness, but a joy and everbiding joy that comes from having my greatest need satisfied by you. And Lord, I believe Jesus is my Christ, the one who takes care of my sins. I can't do it anymore. And Lord, I believe that Jesus is my king. From this point on, I want to serve you and not myself. And I believe that Jesus is my savior who died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins and rose again on the third day to prove that his work was sufficient for you. Lord, be my Savior. I pray this in your name. Amen. This expresses your heart. I invite you to to come and let me know. I'd, I'd like to pray for you and help you with that.